Hi everyone, this is Sarah Bull, your host on the Translation Mavens podcast. This is the fourth full episode of the podcast and today I'm talking to Kate Corliss, a legal translator who's currently based in Melbourne, although she has been based in all kinds of different places. In this conversation, we talk about how Kate got into learning Japanese, how she ended up being a legal translator, and how she went with the jump from working in-house to going freelance, and how that has changed over time. Kate and I used to work together in a law firm in Japan, and for me, it was so fun to talk to her um, in this kind of long conversation for the first time in ages. Um, She has lots of great insights, and I think it is going to be really interesting for people to listen and see how Kate has made being a freelance translator work for her. Enjoy, and I'd love to hear your thoughts after you've listened. Bye. So I'm here with Kate Corliss and Kate and I used to work together back in the day at a big law firm near Tokyo Station. Hi Kate, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hi Sarah. It's good to get this chance to talk to you actually. It's um, kind of missed the days when we used to get to talk to each other all the time. Yeah, it used to be like the, oh, I was going to say long lunches, but they usually had to be pretty quick, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's but right, that's right. <laughs> the odd email now, I think, is the most we're able to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just for people who don't know you, which is probably a lot of the people listening, can you tell people where you are? Um, so I'm currently in Melbourne, Australia. Yep. And so um, you've been living in Melbourne for about how long now? Uh, it's only been about eight months at the moment. I was in country New South Wales before then for about a year and a half and then Perth before that for about uh, some number of years, two years. Yeah. Right. And then uh-huh. Sydney before that. So I'm kind of traversing across Australia. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, um, yeah, we'll to sort of get into that, like you've moved around a lot, right? But um, I think that this is all since you went freelance. So let's go back first before then, um, and we'll work up to the to the leap to freelance. So can you talk a little bit about like how you started even studying Japanese and then how you got into translation? Because um, I think your story is a little bit um, unique in that you kind of had a bit of an idea that you'd like the idea of a career in translation quite early on, right? Yeah, that's right. Although I think my first thoughts on being a translator were completely unformed and with no idea of what that actually meant. But right. (laughs) Yeah, to go right back to the beginning with studying Japanese, I'm probably similar to a lot of Australian students where we had to do a language at school and my school was offering Japanese or French mm-hmm. and Japanese sounded cooler to me. So <laughs> I basically chose it on those grounds, which is always a good way to choose your yeah, education. Right. Um, so yeah, I basically did that at high school. Yep. Um, did it for a few years and really enjoyed it. But then my school had an exchange program yep. with um, a Japanese school. And so they would send people on either two week or one year exchanges Mm -hmm. um, over to the Japanese school. And um, my sister wanted to go for the two week one and I sort of didn't want to be showed up by her. So I decided (laughs) to go with her. And then after that, um, I was told about the year exchange that I was in the right grade to be able to do. So Mm -hmm. So your sister didn't get hooked on Japan like you did after the two-week exchange? No, well, she did Japanese at school as well, but sort of stopped with Japanese once she got to the end of high school. She had other Mm -hmm. things that she was more interested in. So um, I had another sister who did Japanese as well, and she did it right through school, but she also just sort of did it at school as well. And it was mainly having that exchange opportunity for a year that 
um, kind of kept me going in the Japanese path, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you came over on that exchange when you were quite young, right? It wasn't after high school, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So um, it was offered to me when I was in what's year 11 in New South Wales. So I would have been about 15, maybe 16 at that mm. age, at that stage. Um, but yeah, looking back, it's sort of, I, I didn't, I think I, it's more, I'm, I realise more now how young I was, whereas at that point in time, it was like, oh, here's an opportunity, let's go do that kind of thing. <laughs> you kind of didn't know what you didn't know, right? <laughs> so, yeah, exactly, which seems to me is a good way to live your life, the way my <laughs> life has unfolded, and I seem to have done that quite a few times, so I think it's a good way to live your Are you there? Sorry, you just cut out for a second. Can you hear me still? Oh, yeah, now I can hear you again. Cool. Um, Yeah, no, it's interesting, isn't it? I definitely have some of those moments as well, looking back, where I was like, wow, I can't believe I decided to do that. But it worked out okay. I'm glad I did. (laughs) Yeah, um, Yeah, I think, um, yeah, there's something to be like said for making those kind of decisions without overanalyzing them sometimes, even though they can yeah. be a bit stressful. But um, so coming at that age, did that mean you're basically taking a year off school and then you go back in with the students who were a year below you? Yeah, that's right. So um, so when I went through school anyway, I don't know if things have changed. I was at, mm. in New South Wales where basically your year 11 and year 12 were sort of your last two years of high school. So although yeah. year 12 is the main focus of the last year, you also mm. did a certain amount in year 11 to prepare mm. for that. Um, and so I took off just before that started. Uh-huh. Because year 11 and year 12 were kind of a set, yeah? Yeah, that's right. You kind of have to follow through from year 11 to year 12. Right, right, right. But that makes for, I mean, like, however you cut it, you're going to have a transition period coming back, right? Like, but I feel like that's kind of tricky because you're going back into high school, back into your old environment, but with in a different year, like with different people, having to sort of make new friends and everything, that would be quite tricky. Yeah, it was the way I sort of first decided to deal with it because I'm a bit more of a recluse and kind of happy with time on my own. Yeah. I had kind of, well, the actually the year in Japan had kind of made me really want to focus on my last couple of years, whereas mm-hmm. before Japan I felt a little bit lost. And so... Yeah going to Japan actually gave me a bit more focus mm-hmm. and so I came back and decided well I'll just go to the library and study uh-huh. which was my initial plan but um, I actually got pretty lucky where there was just a group of girls who I got chatting to in an English class and decided to befriend me so that was nice of them. But that's but, kind of cool because you took the pressure off yourself right you weren't like going in a being like okay now I need to make all new friends like you're just like okay I'm just gonna focus on my studies and then the friendships came yeah I feel like that was kind of a good plan yeah and unknowingly I chose to do the right thing (laughs) cool and so when you did the exchange it wasn't as part of a group it was just your school with that particular school in Japan is that right yeah, that's right. And it was quite a young program by that stage, I think. I think only one, maybe two people had gone before me. Oh, wow. So it wasn't one of these really well set up kind mm. of, um, trying to think like Rotary or yeah, those yeah. kind of organisations. It was basically, okay, here's a student, we've sent them to the school and now they're going to go to class and we'll figure out all the families that will take care of them during that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like there's a lot of opportunity for things to go wrong if they're going to go wrong. But you had a pretty good experience overall, right? Yeah, I really enjoyed my time there. I was really lucky with the school that they just kind of helped me along the way and the families that I stayed with were really kind to me and Mm. Um, patient was probably <laughs> right. the but 
yeah, I, I really enjoyed the time there and it was probably the fact that I had such a good time there that really encouraged me to continue with Japanese actually. Mm. So how many families did you stay with during that year? I actually stayed with four, which when I tell other people who have done exchanges, they kind mm -hmm. of are a bit shocked at how many families I stayed with because I think some stay with a family for a whole year and mm -hmm. some maybe change once. Um, yes. I don't know if it was because it just kind of took the pressure off so they changed me around more frequently or um, because I had a couple of friends who decided to take me on as well. So maybe they just decided to mix it up a bit because there were people there to offer me to stay with them. So mm -hmm. I got to visit a lot of different families and kind of experience a lot of different households as well. Yeah, I feel like there's an advantage to that. I mean, Rotary, when I did it, the, the sort of ideal plan was for um, four host families, three months each, um, and mine didn't work out exactly three months each, but I did do four host families, and I thought that was great because I don't know if this is what happened with you, but for me, when I was at my first host family, I was sort of like thinking, Japan's like this, Japan's like this, people in Japan are like this, like all based on my experience at that first host family. And then I moved to the second host family and so many things were done differently that that really like made me realize, oh, okay, yeah, this is not, it's not the same, whichever Japanese family you go to. And then that just got reinforced again at the third house and the fourth house, you know, it sort of yeah. gave me a better spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. And even just like the location of the different families, I think mm. the first family I stayed in, in I stayed with was out in the middle of the countryside so mm. I really experienced sort of country Japan there um, whereas another family was sort of right in it was still it was near prefecture so it was still quite a small kind of small town area but um, yeah. I stayed in the main city there as well so I got to experience a bit more of the sort of city life of Japan as well so even just that aspect was quite uh, good insight into Japanese life as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. And so by the time you got back from that exchange, you sort of knew that you wanted to keep going with Japanese through uni and beyond. Is that right? Yeah, I, yeah that's right. I sort of, um, I came back from Japan and I remember just having this thought of, well, first of all, that I really enjoyed Japanese, so I wanted to continue with it. Mm. Um, but also for some reason it popped into my head of like, oh, maybe I'll be a translator. And mm. I, I still, looking back at that stage, I don't know why that was in my head because yeah. I don't even think I knew what a translator was. I just liked, yes. well, when I'd been in Japan, I'd really enjoyed uh, reading and writing Japanese as opposed mm. to speaking. Yep. So it seemed like that sort of direction might be something that I would be interested in. So it kind mm -hmm. of stuck in my head from that point that I wanted to keep going maybe somewhere down the road translation would be an option yeah right but it's interesting that you say that like you focused in on the reading and writing which is actually you know a sort of really good insight to have early on right like I know um when I did my master's I had no idea at the beginning because I had to do I had to study interpreting and translation and I really didn't know which option appealed to me more I was kind of you know like not leaning one way or the other and I sort of had to have a go at both of them before I could see that translation was a better fit for me but because you had that clarity then that helps you you know with decisions further down the track yeah I think you're right with that like to be honest, it was probably based on the fact that I sort of felt quite nervous and not very confident with speaking Japanese. So mm. the idea of either reading or writing behind the computer kind of appealed to me, not having right, to right, be right. out there and um, yep. yeah, talk face to face with someone and feel confident that what I was saying and hearing was the right thing right there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I, yeah, I think that that's great to have that clarity early on. And so um, there's a few, like when we, when we talked before this, um, before recording the podcast and like, you know, I asked some of these questions, it really stood out to me how many times that something, some kind of 
opportunity has come up and you've just suddenly gone, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Um, That seems to be like almost like a reoccurring theme in your life, right? You've made some big changes like quite quickly. Yeah. So do you want to talk about how you got into studying translation, how that happened? Yeah. So I guess sort of continuing on from school, I sort of make that link first before putting mm. on to the translation bit, but I did go into university and basically just studied Japanese at university, like yeah. not foreign Japanese or mm. anything like that. Mm. Japanese because I didn't really have any clue of where I wanted to go with it. So right. I focused on that and then got to the end of um, my undergraduate degree and kind of realized, oh, so I have all these Japanese skills, but I don't really know what to apply it to and actually start earning money as a person of society. So I kind of thought, well, what about just being a teacher? Or I shouldn't say just, um, being a teacher. Um, (laughs) Greatest respect for teachers. Absolutely. Yeah, I thought, oh, okay, being a teacher is probably not a bad idea. That was something I thought of before doing Japanese mm-hmm. anyway, so why not do Japanese teaching? So I put my name down for a dip ed course um, teaching Japanese, got into that, and then just sort of last minute before uni semester started, I suddenly had that idea pop back in my head of, oh, what if I was to be a translator? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't really know what it is, but let's have a bit of a look into it. And luckily the internet was around at that stage, so I could do a little bit of searching there um, and found that there was this course down in Melbourne. So I was in Sydney at the time, um, but there was a course in Melbourne for a Master of Translation. So I thought, well, probably too last minute anyway, but I'll just give it a go and see what happens. And sent in my application and then I think it was literally about a week before the semester started I got um, accepted into the course and so decided to just go for it and packed up my bags and got my dad to drive me down to Melbourne. (laughs) But that's kind of cool because you know a lot of people just would have decided way earlier just not to bother right like it's like oh but I've already been accepted I won't worry about it or oh but it's probably too late I won't bother trying to apply or then you know finding out so like close to the start of semester just being like oh but I couldn't possibly like you know rearrange my life in a week (laughs) or um, but you just were like oh I'll give it a go and then I mean I assume you're really glad that you did that course, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, going on exchange seemed to have worked, making a last-minute decision of, well, Mm -hmm. I might as well just give it a go. And then I wasn't 100% convinced about becoming a teacher. I wasn't sure it was the right career for me. So I thought, well, this one, if nothing else, it'll sort of prolong the inevitable of having to find a job. And see if there is something that I'm actually interested in. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. as much as it seemed last minute, it also kind of made sense as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so can you talk a bit about the course? Because the just for people who don't know, the course that I did was in Queensland and your course was in Melbourne. So we're talking about different master's courses. Yours was in translation um, and mine was in translation and interpreting. But both of them are... Um, specific to Japanese they're not like a general translation course that that has people who are doing different languages they're both Japanese specific right Um, yeah or is it so there's a couple of courses on offer at so I did it at uh, Monash University and Mm -hmm. the translation section or the purely translation course you actually did do a lot of the translation theory with oh, yep, yep, yep. languages because it was quite theory heavy. So yep. um, like we took a lot of time learning about the background to translation and why it is uh, art form or science or whichever way you want to look at it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but then also there was the language specific part. So uh-huh. um, I would join up with 
the other um, students who were learning interpreting and translation at ah, that point. Okay. Yep. And then we'd join and do the languages part together. And um, yes, yeah, so I sort of got to see a bit of both sides of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So were there people doing translation uh, postgraduate degrees in different languages that also took the same sort of translation theory courses as you? Or everyone was doing Japanese? Uh, in the actual translation theory part? Yep. Yeah, so in the theory part, it was a mixture of languages. Oh, okay, there cool. Of Japanese students, but... Mm. Uh, okay, yeah, so that's was, different. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so were there any particular, like, things that you learnt in that course that you um, found really, really valuable or things that you wish they'd covered that they didn't? Or? Um, I think it was a good starting point for someone who knew nothing about translation. Mm -hmm. um, looking back on it now, I still sort of think about it a bit and see how it applies to the work that I do. Yeah, um, yeah it was really helpful for someone who had no idea. Like, you just sort of... I don't know if everyone's like this, but when you kind of think of when at that stage, when I was thinking of translating, it was like this word equals that word, this word equals that yeah. word, equals yeah. that word. Here is a sentence. This is the same sentence between the two languages kind of thing. And yeah. so obviously we know now that translation is not that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it kind of got, got anyone who was in that mindset past that and thinking about it more as a, sort of separate language pieces and all that kind mm -hmm. of thing so mm -hmm. just making sure that the students knew exactly what translation can entail yeah but then there were also the practical components of it as well right so you were given japanese text to translate into english and then you get feedback on your translations Is that, yeah that's right yeah. i think we had sort of weekly assignments where you get a different subject so it might be law or media or that kind of thing and mm -hmm. given a week to go over this translation and um, get some feedback so I sometimes mm -hmm. wonder what level those translations might have been I'd be a little bit scared I don't want to go back and look at my <laughs> work from <laughs> university either um, yeah. yeah it's a bit scary to think about but um so, and that course is for how long? Uh, so my one was a year and a half. Uh -huh, mm -hmm. And the second or the, I guess, it, so it's three semesters and the third yeah. semester was basically just doing a big translation piece. So oh, wow. words or characters it was, but yeah, you basically just had to translate something which Again, I don't even know if I have a copy of it still, but I'd be a little bit scared to go back and have a look at that. Yeah, right. So, like, something that's sort of um, maybe, like, longer than a, what you would do in a week, right? So, like, short book length, maybe? Yeah, I think I chose about five chapters or something from a book. Wow. I made the really smart decision of doing something on Yasukuni Jinja, so I really made it ah. easy for myself. <laughs> that sounds mm. <laughs> that sounds kind of daunting yeah wow okay oh wow okay wow that's really different I don't think I mean I've never translated anything of that kind of link by myself I'm sure wow yeah I sort of keep thinking I should actually go back to that book and give it a go now and mm. see what I'd end up with. I'm not sure if I'm as interested in that topic as I was back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might want to choose something different. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and so then when you finished, did you have a, a job lined up before you graduated or how did that um, next step come about? Well, that again sort of happened in the traditional Kate way where an opportunity was kind of thrown at me and I just sort of put my hand up and went oh yeah I'll give it a go um, so it was basically probably a couple of months before the end of graduating from that course and um, one of my lecturers said how 
there was a law firm in Tokyo that was looking for some graduate translators and mm-hmm. if anyone might have been interested at that stage. And I'd already made the decision that I was going to go back to Japan because I hadn't been for so long and I really yep. felt like my Japanese language was sort of starting to decline. So mm-hmm. I wanted to try and bring it back up again. So I yep. thought, oh, maybe I'll go back and do... Um, Oh, which I'm going to say the wrong one. Is it Jet? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I was thinking of doing that or some form of a Kaiwa kind of yeah, job. Just some way um, to get back to Japan and live and work. Yeah, basically some way to get a visa so that I could yeah. be in the country and actually absorb the language. Mm-hmm. Um, so this opportunity seemed like a much better idea because once again, it's in translation. It's, yeah. It seems to be something that I might be interested in. The the law, the law side of it sounded a little bit daunting. I thought, yeah. well, they're looking for graduates, so they must recognise that no one's going to be great at it, I hope. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's reassuring when you're a new graduate and the position is specifically looking for new graduates, right? Um, it's sort of like okay so you're not expecting somebody who already knows exactly what they're doing yeah absolutely and especially for the company that was offering the job like they really wanted someone who would sort of take on their way of translating as well so Mm -hmm. I think at that stage if they got someone who had too much experience it could have been quite hard for them to sort of become a part of the company as much as they wanted at that stage yeah 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 and so um so to get that job this is the same job by the way so kate and i worked at that law firm together so i assume the process was pretty much the same like you apply send through your resume then they ask you to do a trial and then did you have a telephone interview yeah i had (laughs) Oh gosh, I haven't. I had a telephone interview on. So I was a student living in Melbourne, so trying to work part time, had almost mm-hmm. no money. Yeah, and our telephone was sort of half broken, so you kind of could hear every <laughs> word that someone was saying oh, no. on this interview for this job, with every second word cutting out in Japanese, which I was still pretty rusty at because I hadn't been back in country for a while. Right. So I was like, I think this is what you said, so I'm going to answer with this. And I, I have a feeling I got that wrong every so often. So it was a bit, I, I specifically remember hanging out the phone. I was on my own in my apartment, but hanging out the phone and just saying straight to myself, well, I did not get that job. <laughs> right. It sounds a bit traumatic. I mean, I remember the phone interview component and how nerve-wracking it was even on a working telephone, um, and, you know, especially when halfway through they sort of, yes, switched to Japanese all of a sudden and it was like, oh, okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, but you got the job <laughs> and that's, yeah. also, I mean, you were going to Tokyo. You'd never lived in Tokyo before, right? So that's no, a I've... kind of leap of faith. Yeah, absolutely. Like I'd been to Tokyo for, I think, maybe a long weekend when I was there on exchange. But Mm -hmm. other than that, I'd never been there. So I I guess I think, again, at the time, it was a matter of probably not thinking about it enough rather than (laughs) um, being brave or anything like that. Everything seemed right, but it looked like a great opportunity to um, take that job. And I wanted to go to Japan anyway. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I just kind of threw myself at it, really. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, it was a great idea in the end, right? Like you, you were glad that you did it and yeah, and you liked living in Tokyo, right? Yeah, absolutely. That was some of the best fun I've had or fun and working fun, yeah, working right. experience that I've had um, ever, like yeah. without that, um, especially without that grounding for my translation, I do not think I would be the point I am in my life now where I can feel more confident in the way that I work and um, mm-hmm. kind of work that I produce as well. Um, it, the people who were there were, would take so much time with you to teach you mm-hmm. uh, everything that you needed to learn, whether it be language related or law related. Um, yeah. I mean, sometimes it felt like you were thrown in the deep end and <laughs> yeah. you kind of had to learn 
<laughs> sort of on the run and hope that the words you were using were even somehow close to what they wanted. But mm-hmm, generally mm-hmm. speaking, it was a really supportive environment. And yeah, I really think I was lucky to have that as the first place that I worked as a translator. Yeah. And that was your first grown-up job too, right? Like after finishing uni and yeah, like first full-time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the connection's gone a little bit. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yep. Okay, cool. We're back again. Sorry, Um, Australian internet. Um, but so I mean, obviously that was so a really good place to work, and you were enjoying living in Tokyo. But you did decide to leave after about four years. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, I think uh by that stage I can't remember exactly how long the visas lasted but I think by that stage my visa was getting close to ending and um, quite a lot of the people I'd hung out with at that stage who were sort of uh, from other countries or whatever had started to leave as well so mm-hmm. uh, it sort of felt like everyone was leaving so maybe yeah. it was a time to start considering leaving as well and then a few things happened at home with my family so I just thought I think it's time for me to just take what I've learned and I hope that I can make it as a freelance translator yep. back in Australia. Yeah. Um, and so were you nervous about that like, or excited or um, yeah, like, a, I mean, I think everybody, um, a lot of people know that sort of the impetus for me to go freelance was that I had my daughter and then after sort of a year of working at home kind of half time it was sort of time to go back into the office and the idea of commuting back and back and forth again as well as looking after my daughter I was just like oh yeah no okay it's time for me to go freelance but yeah yeah, it was scary I felt like I was doing it before I was ready, <laughs> before I kind yeah. of wanted to. So um, how did you feel about it at the time? I certainly had that same feeling, like, as you uh, said before, mm. that job had been my first full-time proper job. Right. Um, like anywhere in the world, not just in <laughs> Japan, anywhere. So the yeah. idea of going straight from that to running my own business was a bit mm-hmm. like... I don't know. I think again, it was the thing of not thinking enough about it. Kind of helped me get through yeah. it in a way because I think if I knew exactly what it entailed, it may have been a lot trickier. But I yeah. also was a bit lucky because a few or a couple of people who had worked both at our firm before us and mm-hmm. uh, at different companies as well around us, they had started to go freelance, and they kind of yeah. I kept in with them and they gave me a bit of an idea of what that working life was like so I thought well if nothing else I have people I can ask questions of so yeah 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 I think that was the main encouragement yeah yeah I think it definitely helps to have people who you know like quite sort of in close in your circle who have sort of taken those kind of steps before so you can have an idea of what it looks like and yeah that idea of having somebody to ask questions to is kind of huge right yeah certainly for the translation sort of side of things it was really yeah. helpful having them and then it was also pretty lucky back in Australia there's a lot of stuff that the tax office does mm. to sort of encourage small businesses to get up and uh, get started get up and running and uh-huh. give you a few tips on what to do to make sure that your business is running smoothly Right, cool. So when you went back then, um, like how did it go once you actually did launch your freelance business? Was it? Uh, it was pretty hectic. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd never really been good at knowing exactly how much money I earned. Um, mm-hmm. Like when I was in Japan, the amount of money I had seemed to be enough because I never ran out. I never felt like I was sort of living in squalor or anything like that so I just kind of never looked at the numbers on my paycheck each week right but then when I got back to Australia I was like well how much money does someone need to actually live and right, I started right. realizing that maybe I should have paid a bit more attention to those paychecks <laughs> um, 
And so it was just a matter of, well, I'll just take any job that comes basically. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, so literally signed up with a couple of agencies. Um, Was still working for the firm that um, I'd been at in Japan. And then had a couple of connections with other people as well that kind of helped along the way. Mm. But yeah, because I had this idea of like, I have no idea how much money I need or how much money this job will even give me. I just kind of really pushed myself to make sure I earned a suitable amount of money right. or at least an amount of money to be able to survive. <laughs> right. So in the beginning, that looked like taking on sort of too much work, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. So I think my work days back then would basically start at six in the morning and then I'd just go as late as I had to and sometimes that was maybe 2 a.m the next morning (laughs) yeah sometimes later but looking back on it I I wish I had no more about how much you need to earn to live because (laughs) those are some painful days (laughs) yeah sure 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 but so was that like was the flip side of that that you had like the money rolling in or were you just not necessarily taking super lucrative jobs well, I wasn't taking super, super lucrative jobs, but it's amazing how much you can earn when you're taking <laughs> low paying jobs if you take enough of them. Not that I was right. rolling No, no, no. But, but you didn't have I to worry that, about paying the rent. No. And um, like I know I went and um, spoke to an accountant when I first got back to Australia and sort of said, oh, I'm going to be a translator and so I'll see you at tax time basically. And mm. then when I went back to her at tax time after the first um, financial year, she was like, oh, I really didn't think I'd see you again. I did not think I'd <laughs> earn any money. I was like, oh, thanks for the vote of confidence. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you didn't say that at the time because that would have yeah. been very discouraging. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Wow. <laughs> so um, at some point that changed, right? Because I assume like that you cannot be working those kind of hours these days. <laughs> so can you yeah. talk a little bit about the shift that I assume has taken place to hopefully a more sustainable and enjoyable <laughs> lifestyle? Yeah, well, you're right. That did not last too long because... <laughs> That's how you go a little bit crazy if you try and live off minimally. Yeah. Um, but I started realising, I think it was actually the realisation of what freelance could offer me mm. rather than what it seemed to be taking from me. Right. I started to realise I should make some kind of switch or use it to my advantage better, I think, was probably the way I saw it. So, so a real mindset shift. Yeah. And yeah. it, the initial shift was probably not the smartest shift because I sort of decided to travel around the world for about six months. Yeah, I remember um, that period. I was like, I could not keep track of where you were. Yeah, me <laughs> you were either. buying like round the world tickets, right? Yeah, I'd initially gone to the US just to visit a friend there. Yeah. And, oh, actually, and it was for iJet, I think. Ah, yep. In Seattle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I went to that, visited a friend there, and another friend who also went to iJet was getting married in Europe uh, like six months or so later. Yeah. He made the wise suggestion that I should travel all the way around the world and land in Greece for his wedding yep. um, in six months' time or whatever that was. So I decided to follow him up on that. Went right. to the local travel agent and booked my round the world ticket. <laughs> right. <laughs> and all of this time you're working. Yeah. So again, I think the fact that we'd worked at a company that um, made me realize the importance of sort of confidentiality and stuff like that. It made me realize what that actually involved as well mm. in traveling mm. around. So having to get things like, um, uh, what do you call it, like SIM cards in every country, making sure that I had enough yeah. data to be able to work, not using all the public Wi-Fi and all this kind of thing. Yeah. It was actually a lot more than I sort of bargained for, but mm-hmm. it sort of mm-hmm. was a way of making me realise how much I can get 
done in a day, but still do just a reasonable amount of work. Which right. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. Because yeah, no, it does, because stuff. instead of, you know, getting up at six and basically working through until you're done in the middle of the night, you had to fit in the other things, right? Like getting from one place to another and like hopefully seeing some of these destinations that you were visiting. And, yeah. So That's it. You don't want to book a ticket around the world and be sitting in your hotel working all the time. You kind of want to be able right. to get out and see things. So it actually sort of shocked me into realizing that you can work for a certain amount of time and then go and do a bunch of stuff the rest of the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So you kind of did the extreme detox from working all day <laughs> to yeah. a more sustainable balance. Yeah, well, definitely is... not your typical path. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I feel like everyone. <laughs> yeah, I feel like some people, you know, they have like years and years and years where they kind of, you know, stay in the same place and find that they've built up enough of a nest egg or whatever that then they can travel and translate at the same time. I've heard of that kind of pattern before, but yeah. not really your kind of pattern of like. <laughs> Yeah, I just like was working too much and then I decided to work and travel and found my balance that way. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one. But so now you're, you're not traveling so much these days, right? Although your, your work-life balance seems to be much better than in those early days. Yeah, that's right. So it's sort of a little bit less um, skittish and ready to yeah. work any stage so um, I kind of found a little bit of a um, schedule I guess for myself that seems to work pretty well with yeah. um, sort of the especially using the time differences between mm -hmm. Japan mm -hmm. and Melbourne to my advantage I've sort of yeah. found that to be a way you can almost extend your days without actually extending your day mm -hmm. so now I still sort of well actually no I don't get up as early as I used to it tends to be closer to eight o'clock Right. I wake up now but I actually use that time then so eight o'clock in Melbourne is still six o'clock in Japan so the work day's not started right um, and so I get up at eight and I try and do all the things that I want to do before the start of the work day so mm -hmm. generally speaking that'll be going to the gym because as most freelancers know you tend to spend a lot of time at your desk and yeah uh, probably not enough time out and moving your bones and muscles yep. around enough so you don't get broken um, mm -hmm. yeah I'll go do that and then um, come back and eventually start my work day by 11 o'clock Melbourne time so that's sort of nine o'clock-ish at the moment um, yep. in Japan mm -hmm. and then yeah sort of allow myself to be available for emails during the Japan work day yeah and then once that ends I'll if I still have work to do I'll try and do more after the work Japan's working hours because I find mm -hmm. I get a lot more work done outside of the working hours because you tend to get a lot of emails happening during yeah. the working hours so I can mm -hmm. still work then but it's a bit more broken up with trying to answer emails and whatnot yeah sure um, and so now you're working for a mixture of direct clients and agencies is that right yeah I like to work for a variety of people I think mm -hmm. for me anyway it's sort of I don't know, it, it's sort of like diversifying in a yeah. way. Like yeah. if you, if I find I have a lot more or I find it a lot harder to say no to jobs from direct clients because I think mm. they tend to rely on you a lot more. Yeah. Um, whereas agencies have a pool of people that they tend to be able to pick from. So yeah. when I'm busy with direct clients, I can say no to an agency and mm -hmm. it helps kind of, um even out the amount of work that I get yeah um, yeah yeah mm. and so do you have any kind of like um commandments or rules or whatever like do you do you not work at like you said you do work at night time do you work do you have like any sacred times that you don't work or are there any other kind of sort of rules that you've set for yourself whether it's for that work-life balance or whether it's just to make sure that you're doing a good job or um, anything like that? 
I think for me, it just tends to be more making sure that I take time out every so often because mm-hmm. even though you try and set up, like I sort of said, as though it happens every day that, oh, yes, I wake at 8 and then I start work at 11. Yeah. Um, you do still tend to get super busy days where that whole time mm-hmm. is still about working and I don't get a chance to go to the gym. So after those busy times, I tend to try and take a couple of days off if I can, like, even if I have a spare time, I might try and, um, uh, like, say no to some jobs. Yeah. Even I could technically take them. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do have a lot more awareness of looking after myself physically. Yeah. As much as it seems like a relaxed job where you sit in the seat all day, mm-hmm. um, it, it's actually quite wearing on your body. So I think yeah. it's actually quite important that um, I'm, a, personally speaking anyway, that I'm aware of that. Yeah, yeah. So you don't have any like hard and fast rules that you never do this or you always take this time off, but you kind of flexibly make sure that you have that sort of time to recharge and rest and um, be kind to yourself in between, even if it means turning down work sometimes. Yeah, because like I'm, I find that for me it doesn't work so much to be too strict on like. I will not work on these days or I only mm-hmm. work at these hours or anything like that because I am someone who can have a lot more flexibility in my life. Right. Like, I don't have any children. <coughs> I'm in a state where I don't have family, so I don't have any sort of direct family commitment. Um, so I find it easier to be flexible. But that said, if there is time, a time where I haven't seen some friends for a while, then I'll tend to try and take that time if I can. Yeah, I think that's good to use that for your, like, to your advantage as well, like, to sort of, you know, there are so many of us who have to work around school hours and things like that. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of, it gives you a certain kind of competitive advantage to not have to say, okay, I need to log off for three hours to do dinner and bedtime or like to go and get my kid or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's it. Um, I think mm. most of my friends will have kids. So to be able to be the person that goes, oh, yeah, it's a weekend, I'll put my hand up because I know that I can take it, whereas other yes. people might not be able to without disrupting life too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're definitely doing us a service. <laughs> I appreciate people <laughs> like you because if they, you know, <laughs> otherwise when people get really stuck, then suddenly I'm rearranging my weekend plans and, yeah. <laughs> Cool. So, I mean, it sounds like you are really pleased with the career that you've ended up in translation. Can you talk a bit about like what you like about being a translator? Um, Specifically as being a translator, I I think I really like that feeling of, um, I don't know, (laughs) it sounds really lame, but I really like writing a nice sentence that sort of sounds good to somebody's ears. Um, I think um, a lot of translators are kind of, you know, nerdy enough to appreciate that kind of (laughs) joy in our work, (laughs) the satisfaction. And even when there's a document that, I mean, with law, I have no legal or no official legal training that there's so many times where something will come across my desk and I'm kind of unsure exactly of what it's talking about. But that point where you get to the end of the translation, like, oh, I totally get it now. <laughs> mm. At the start of this document, I could not have told you half the stuff that I now learn. I, I really yeah. like that part of it. Yeah, the learning stuff. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And just sort of to be able to have a job where I sit and read all day is kind <laughs> of cool as well. <laughs> yeah, although some people would not understand the appeal of reading some of the sort of dry out legal documents that come across our desks. But I always try yeah. and say that to people too. I'm like, well, you know, legal seems like it would be really dry, but a lot of the corporate stuff that we do is actually really interesting, right? I mean, a lot of it is secrets. <laughs> Um, yep. stuff that you wouldn't otherwise know about or get to read about which yeah, is kind of like cool I always get a kick out of that yeah yeah <laughs> mm. so you get to read the news sometimes before it comes up on 
That's so, right. That's right. Yeah, you see something on the news and you're like, hmm, okay, that's an interesting way to put that <laughs> like it just, <laughs> it to the world. Or, yeah, no, it, I, I, I think it's um, one of the appeals. I mean, like, it depends on what kind of translation you do, but for legal, I think that's one of the fun parts of it is those kind of uh, windows into stuff that you normally wouldn't have access to. Yeah, and I think also it's, for me, it's a good mix of almost um, like an art form and a bit of a science. I've yeah. sort of always walked the edges of those two fields, like mm. being slightly arty, but not enough to ever be an artist and slightly scientific, but not ever enough to call myself a scientist. And so right. especially with legal translation, in my eyes, mm. it's sort of scientific in the sense that you're putting this puzzle together that sort of um, needs to logically make sense um, yeah. and then artistic because you still have some freedom in how that actually sounds. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, so from that, would you recommend translation to someone else as a career? That is a really hard question to answer I think for me anyway like, mm -hmm. I definitely love it there are times when I hate it and especially the fact <laughs> of working for yourself I think that part can be quite cumbersome sometimes yeah um, but I think speaking as someone who just sort of goes with the flow yes I think if, if all the signs keep, seem to kind of point to it where you enjoy languages enough and then um, I know maybe you're a reader or you like to see how things logically fit together or something like that, then I certainly think it's worth looking at. Um, mm -hmm. But I think if you're someone who's sort of trying to do it because it sounds exotic or um, maybe, I don't know, you think you'll make lots of money from doing it, because I've heard that said a couple of times where supposedly translators are millionaires. Um, <laughs> and I think maybe you need to reconsider why you would get into it. But I yeah. think as long as you know why you're getting into it and even give something like a translation course a bit of a try before you actually commit fully to it, then I absolutely think it's worth giving it a shot anyway. Yeah, yeah. When um, I asked you in like before this about um, like what kind of advice you, like you'd give, I think was you said something which was I thought was really key. Like if someone wanted to be a translator, what advice would you give them? And you were like, well, give it a go, but make sure you have someone good to support you and like be a mentor and I think that's really important like you definitely do need someone guiding you a little bit right or a yeah lot. for sure <laughs> yeah like yeah. if it hadn't been for the people at our company that sort of guided or for me anyway guided me along and took the time to explain things to me and everything I I really don't think it would have been quite as a positive experience as it has been. So yeah, I think, yeah. I, I mean, I can't speak from experience, but I cannot help but wonder how people who go straight into freelancing cope because I would find that quite, well, first of all, first of all, I'd find it to be quite a solitary kind of act. Mm. And so you're never getting that feedback or interaction that I found so useful by going yeah. in-house. Um, mm. But I also understand that that's not necessarily something that is open to everyone. So certainly if yeah. you can find a mentor or something like that, I think that that is absolutely the way to go. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, I mean, it, I think um, psychologically as well, it's kind of difficult to, um, to be working in a vacuum, you know, not getting any feedback and not knowing whether you're doing a good job or not. Right, because then it, when you have an in, inevitable quiet patch, you're going to start wondering if it's because your work's not good enough or something like that. So, yeah, there's to find some way of getting some quality feedback, I think, is really important on all kinds of different levels, like for improving your craft and also just 
for getting you out of your head and into like the real world of what does somebody who knows what they're talking about think of your translation. Yeah, for sure. And even just sometimes you don't notice that you either make the same mistake or even mm -hmm. sometimes the languages change. Like in law anyway, there's often a lot of set phrases that you use for um, like certain terms, but yeah. every so often they change it or update it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just don't notice that. And so you're constantly translating things the same way. And yeah. you don't realize you're doing it wrong and it's one small thing that you can make this slight adjustment where if you have two sets of eyes looking at uh your work then somebody else might might pick that up as well mm, mm, mm. so um i think we're sort of getting to the end of the time but before we finish up uh, i asked about like some what kind of resources you'd recommend to other translators which i think kind of ties into this so yep. what kind of resources have, have you invested in that you think tr other translators would sort of do well to invest in themselves? I think the one that stands out in my mind the most because it surprises me the most when people seem to have not invested in it is actual mm. paid dictionary. Oh, yeah. Like there's a lot of <laughs> online ones that you can get for free, which a lot of them are quite useful and I absolutely use them myself as well. But yeah. KOD online yeah that is i that is my go-to for so many things it's such a comprehensive dictionary that yeah that's me too that bit of money just to make sure you're using the right terms or just mm -hmm. even alternative terms that you might not have otherwise thought of right i really think you're missing out if you're not spending that money yeah me too it's not very much either right it's like what six thousand in a year or something and um, I think it's something like that. Yeah, I can't remember. I think I go out and buy like all the dictionaries that are available. Oh, like, okay. I did, that, I did that once and then I found that I didn't really get that much value out of the other ones. But um, maybe I should revisit because they do change the mix of dictionaries or add more. But yeah, yeah. this is, um, for people who don't know, this is the Kenkusha Online Dictionary, which is basically what people used to call the green goddess, the massive, I think it was um, maybe even two volumes, I'm not sure, but a green sort of doorstopper dictionary that used to set you back like however many months, I think, um, and was out of date by the time that it went into print, right? Um, but now you can subscribe to it online, which means that it's updated all the time. Mm. And you can search, and they have uh, Super Daijirin, I think, is the um, Japanese Japanese dictionary that's included in the subscription. And yeah, I, I love that dictionary. It's not the answer for everything, but it saves a lot of time of, you know, searching in multiple different places to kind of check that something is a reliable translation. For a lot of yeah. terms, it's just a very like, quick and easy way to find a reliable translation. And you yeah, know, and I'm, yeah, I think for the same for you as well, like it's not necessarily that we don't know that word and what it means. It, a lot of the time it is a matter of sort of using it almost like a thesaurus, right? Like, okay, I know that word means such and such, but, I wonder if there is another way of saying that that I just can't think of right now. And then you look through all of the options on Kenkusha and quite often there'll be something in there that sort of is a great solution for what you're working on at the time. Yeah, I find it particularly useful for context, like yeah. especially in Japanese, you find the same word used in multiple situations. And so mm -hmm. you've been using it one way quite a lot and then you find it in this other document that's used in a slightly different way it's often yeah. really hard to like you say think of that word that's mm. more appropriate in English so in that sense I find it really useful 
yeah and it's also one of the few dictionaries not all of them give you the like the reading of the kanji right and i appreciate that because sometimes yeah. i i find that you know i know that word it comes up all the time but don't ask me to pronounce it and the um and kenkyusha always gives you the reading as well which is good just for improving your japanese in case you ever actually do need to read something out loud <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. As someone who's been away from Japan for possibly a bit too long, that's absolutely helpful. Yeah, right. right. I think it's always good because sometimes, you know, something will come up, you want to ask the client something or whatever, and it's just, um, yeah, it's kind of embarrassing when you're like, oh, if I could see it, I could tell you what it is, but I, don't, I can't remember how to read it at the moment. Yeah. Mm. In it, so the yeah. paid dictionaries is a big one, and you also use a cat tool, right? Yeah, so <laughs> although I said pay money for an online dictionary, I actually <laughs> use um, Felix as my uh -huh. cat tool, yep. um, which at the moment is free. I, mm -hmm. I actually did pay for it, but it happened to go free not too uh -huh. long after I um, got it. But even when it yeah. was a paid for product, it was pretty cheap. But I found yeah. that to be invaluable and the fact that it's free it's if nothing else it's really handy for learning how to use a cat tool if you're mm -hmm. a bit worried about spending all the money yeah on a more expensive um tool then you can sort of get a bit started on felix and then maybe decide if you want to go on from there and i in mm -hmm. fact even bought WordFast, but I just found it that little bit too tricky to try and figure out how to use it while I was working at the same time. At that point, I wasn't able to do both at the same time. So yeah. I sort of gave up on it and ended up wasting a bit of money on that, I think. Yeah. But, you know, just for context, you've used Trados in-house, right? So you're yeah. not um, basing this cat tool decision on like no knowledge of other cat tools. So I think you and I went to Trados training together, right? Like two days of Trados training. Yeah, yep. I did that and I did it a bit at uni as well. So I had yep. a bit of an idea which helped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you find Felix to be like enough for you at the moment and you might move to a paid solution at some point if it makes sense. Yeah, like just, uh, I think anyone who's sort of resisted getting it for a while for whatever reason and then mm. started using it, the thing I, well, I think I heard a couple of the people you spoke with in other episodes of your yeah. podcast also mentioned that, oh, I just wish I'd done it sooner. Yeah, like, honestly, right, right. If I'd done it sooner, some jobs where you might have to constantly search back and try and find the way that you've translated something before, or you haven't even realised you've translated it before. The yeah. cat talk just is a reminder. I find yeah. more than it actually translating for mm -hmm. me, it's just a reminder of oh, you've written this sort of similarly yeah. uh, earlier on. So maybe you should make it as consistent as possible, seeing as yeah. it's a more translation. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think it, it's really smart. It is. It's just kind of outsourcing some of your brain power, right? Leaving yeah. that brain power for other things. Mm. And especially when you get a couple of jobs that are very similar and use the same terms in Japanese, but different terms with the different clients, it's a really good way to remind yourself how that client likes. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I think that's important if you're juggling multiple clients, right? Because, um, you know, obviously a client is going to be more likely to come back to you if you make their job easier, right? If you do things the way that they like it without them having to correct it every time or remind you every time of the specific, you know, preferences that they have. Yeah. And even, I'm sure you've found it as well, you tend to get seasons when it comes to translate or legal translation yeah, yeah. work, where it seems like every Japanese company is buying every other Japanese company yes. or whatever. And so all these terms are coming up over and over again. So you kind of um, can build up that memory quite a lot and it becomes really useful during that season. Yeah. Hmm. 
Cool. Well, I think you've had heaps of interesting things to share with everyone, lots of food for thought. Now, when I asked you where people could find you, <laughs> your answer was <laughs> they can't. So I know you don't like to hang out on Facebook, but for people who do want to talk to Kate in person, you might have an opportunity at iJet next year. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I'm off Facebook now, so no one can find me anymore. But, um, yeah, I'm hoping to go to iJet. I believe it's in Cairns yes. next year. So, yeah. yeah, hopefully I'll get there. And I'd absolutely love to talk to anyone. Hopefully there's other people out there who have made decisions on a whim as much as I have and I can feel less lonely. More I feel like among the translation community, you might hear some interesting stories on that kind of, <laughs> in that vein. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm looking forward to hearing other stories from you with the podcast as well. Yeah, I love digging into people's um, translation careers because everyone has their interesting, like, yeah, um, backstories and how they make the life work for them now. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on and um, helping us to sort of grow the bank of stories. I think it's especially helpful. I know that if I was a, um, like, starting out translator again it would have i would have loved to have listened to these kind of conversations so hopefully other people will find them as useful yeah absolutely okay thanks kate thanks sarah bye Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the conversation I had with Kate, and I hope it's got you thinking. It certainly got me thinking about what I could change and what I could do to make my work life balance better with my personal life. Um, don't forget that if you want to carry on the conversation, you can come over to the Translation Maven's Facebook page. And of course, if you haven't followed the Facebook page or subscribed, please do that so that you get notified when I'm ready to release the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye.